Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about what to do if you feel behind on getting started for retirement savings. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, good to see you. Good to see you too. It's it's been a week since our last show. And in that week, I got one message of support for my position on the rice cakes. Okay, this is now week three that we're talking about rice cakes. But that message of support came from none other than the Motley Fool's Chris Hill, who sent me a text that says rice cakes were invented so that dry toast wouldn't feel so bad about itself. Look forward to future episodes where Dan is forced to eat an edi- an edible choking hazard and then podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't need anybody else's support for my position on rice cakes. I'm done. I feel good about it. I feel validated. I'm not the only one that thinks rice cakes not a great snack. We were out in the world together and I heard an in-person support for rice cakes while we were chatting before before going to a concert together. Doesn't and they matter. were talking about how versatile the rice cake was. You can throw some peanut butter on it, throw some bananas or whatever you want. Uh, so I think you're still in the minority. Right, but but that's true of almost any like vehicle in which I can get food into my mouth, right? Like if you said that like lettuce is a great food because I can scoop other things up with lettuce, you're not really endorsing lettuce. You're just saying that I can get peanut butter in my mouth using (laughs) this rice cake. That's not an endorsement of the rice cake. Like that's, that's not standing up for itself going, look at how great this food item is that I can add other stuff to it and make it tolerable. You've got my mind working now because lettuce I think is a pretty worthless snack. I'm trying right. to think what the most worthless snack is. It's like a vehicle to get salad dressing into my mouth, right? Like that's right. what I use lettuce for is is to not feel so bad about myself and then also try and get this other flavor that I've doused it in into my gullet, right? That's That's the purpose of the lettuce. Ironically, I do feel bad and sorry when I see other people eating lettuce because I'm wondering what they're experiencing that put them in that situation. Yeah, it's it's called uh, a slowing metabolism, Dan. That's what they're yeah. experiencing, just, just like the rest of us. Other note to self, should probably eat more lettuce. Fair enough. Well, you had an eventful weekend as well. Sounds like you were doing some uh, some home construction work over there. Yeah, so this happened months ago, but we were hanging around the house and heard just a loud thud coming from our living room, uh, which should not have been because we were the only ones in the house. We go downstairs and there is a hole in my drywall in the living room probably 18 inches by 12 inches big. It is. That's a large hole. It's a large hole. And it is partway up the wall. Uh, I don't know what could have done it. Our only theory is that the dog must have done it, which would have been, she would have had to have taken a running start, jumped into the air and 
pivoted a little bit to lead with her body to get the kind of mass into the I don't know what it is. It, anyway, there was a hole in the wall or someone came into the house, put a hole in the wall and left the house quietly. I mean, is there any way that your daughter could have created this hole? No, she was with us. She was okay. with us when this happened. So we fixed the hole. We, you know, plastered over it today. Today I sanded that plaster down and inhaled a fair amount of it. So, uh it's kind of like your rice cake experience I'm working with today, but we'll try to make it happen. Yeah. What What does that say about a food that you can compare inhaling drywall dust to the <laughs> thing I ate on our air last week? Fair enough. If it were flavored with cinnamon, I would have been happier about it. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, we'll get the, we'll get you some cinnamon flavored drywall next time. Please and thank you. All right. Let's let's move on to something that people actually tune into our show for, which is some personal finance. We've gotten some feedback uh, in the time that we've been doing this, and I think this might be episode number 80. I'm not looking at the episode counter right now. I think we've done, I think this is our 80th episode right now. And, you know, I think we always try and take a pretty encouraging tone. Uh, and today is not going to be different from that. But I do think it's helpful to recognize that not everybody is starting in the ideal time frame on their investing journey right? In theory, from the moment you're a baby, you can start investing and compounding and put that magic penny to work of, of just time in the market, right? Like that's how we think about investing is the longer you can do it, the better. A lot of people, that isn't their experience. And for a number of reasons, some of which are choices, some of which are circumstances, some of which are bad luck. Uh, people don't always start investing when they're young. And feel like they're playing catch up. And so I wanted to talk about that today, both in terms of how to approach it, how to think about it, and how much really extra lifting do you need to do if you feel behind. Uh, and so Dan, as I was thinking about this, we were we were kind of just kicking around some of the reasons that you might be behind. Some of those are truly by choice. So somebody that goes into an advanced field like lawyers and doctors, right? They are choosing in most cases, not only to delay earning an income, but in some cases go in exceptional amounts of debt to make that investment in their career. That's generally a very productive reason to start late. Now, you're going to spend quite a while digging out. I mean, I, I was thinking of doctors that med school is, what, four years in addition to an undergrad degree plus time in residency. So where a typical college graduate might be graduating at like 22 years old, 23 years old, somewhere in that range, and then immediately be able to start working and either digging out or saving, you're talking about somebody that's going out to their late 20s and probably not on the right side of the debt until quite a bit after that. That's a, that's a pretty meaningful period of time. Yeah. I mean, you're in a totally different stage of life by the time you can start saving versus someone who got out of school, got a job that paid them pretty well and had some extra cash flow. But that's probably not the case that most people are thinking about when we've gotten feedback that, that maybe our show isn't accounting for everybody's situation. I think there's a lot of people that simply put their head in the sand in some form or another. There's kind of that example. There's people that have gone through traumatic experiences financially, whether that's they took a gamble on a business, they bet on themselves, they could have had a, a personal bankruptcy, they could have had, I think we even mentioned this last week, a divorce that that um, stripped a big part of their wealth, right? I mean, there's so many ways that you could find yourself way past your 20s going, okay, I, I got to figure this out. 
And I wanted to talk more so to those folks in today's episode, right? Because those, those are the people that I think are most at risk of doing one of two things. One is saying, well, I'm already behind, so screw it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to like ignore this. Number two is I have to make up ground, and so I'm going to invest like a crazy person. Yeah, when we were talking about the idea for this episode, that was the one thing I jotted down as what are the biggest mistakes you can make if you're behind? And one of them is feeling like you need to compensate for it by doing crazy things, which could potentially dig a bigger hole for the, for you and then you lose the opportunity to to make positive progress. The number of times that I've heard that and that is always such a huge red flag for me is I'm behind so I need to be aggressive. Because what's what you're really saying when you're saying I'm behind is I'm feeling some level of anxiety, right? There's some level of nervousness that I hold inside about where I'm at. I'm feeling uncomfortable with it. And the problem with that is that losses are only going to exacerbate that, right? And, and as long-term investors, I think we believe it is in our core DNA that we expect the market to go up over time. There's never been a period of time that that hasn't been the truth, right? So that's part of our core investing philosophy. That being said, the scarier you make the ride, the worse your chances are of staying on it. Yeah, if you scrounge up the money to save a couple hundred bucks a month and put away you know, two or three grand after a year, and then months later find that that three grand is now $1,500, that's really discouraging after you took all the effort to start saving and you don't want that kind of punishment. You want to continue to do that and reward you know, the habits that you've put in place. And I think leverage is the one thing that could really exacerbate that. I mean, just being an aggressive investor, you, you can certainly open yourself up to a 50% drop owning a, a speculative sort of company or stock. Um, I've got several of them. Uh, and so you know, th- that's like one thing. If you add fuel to the fire... And you add leverage to that, and now you're borrowing money to invest more because you're trying to make up that ground so aggressively. To me, that's just such a cardinal sin. Right. And it compounds so many issues because it costs you money to use leverage. You know, you are paying for the privilege of levering up your account. And oftentimes that's hidden because you're not necessarily writing the check to cover the interest. They're just pulling it from from your balance, basically, or adding it to your loan balance. And if you are doing that in lieu of taking care of other things and getting your other financial house in order, you know, it might be a hidden time bomb for you. So, you know, the one thing that I would say to anybody, and, and I, I tend to approach the planning this way, and I think as an industry, planners can sometimes be uncomfortable with this. I have long viewed financial planning as like a puzzle, right? When somebody comes to me and says, hey, I want to make sure that we can figure out how to make this work. That's my directive is like, okay, great. Let's figure out how to make this work. How do we arrange the pieces? How do we take the resources you have and make sure that this is going to fit? It doesn't always work that way with somebody that's behind, right? And I think we have to start from a perspective of we have to get started, first of all, right? That every day you waste is a problem. So, so let's do something. And what we're trying to do is move the needle in a positive direction. We may not be able to quote unquote fix it or solve the puzzle immediately, but what we need to start doing is building better habits. That that's that's the key for me is whatever has caused being behind, let's take one tiny step in the right direction 
whether that's eliminating an expensive debt, whether that's starting to put dollar one towards savings or investing, but just start the process and don't worry about how big the problem might feel. Because uh, while, while we don't want to ignore it, we're not talking about going into like ostrich mode. We do want to make a manageable step forward, right? It's just like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? The, one of the most damaging things I see when people put together plans is when you're doing retirement projections and they say you need to save, you know, $10,000 a month to be on time for your retirement goals. That's not going to happen for most people. So Especially if even, they weren't saving anything to start with. Well, exactly. So even if it's $10, which isn't even a small bite out of that $10,000 a month, you're building the habits. You get to see the fruits of your labor. You'll see that balance increase month by month and hopefully you know, stop missing that $10 and be able to increase that amount over time. Um, you know, my, I started my career with Wachovia who had a product called way to save, which I used to laugh at, but essentially every time you spent with your debit card, it rounded it up to the whole dollar and put it in it. But at the time was a very high interest savings account. I think it gave you 5% on that. Killing it. Killing it. But you know, it might be small amounts, but over time, if you're just getting started or in college, like you might find pretty reasonable balances in that account at the end of the period. And, um, you know, that's just a boost to your, to your morale, seeing that you've accomplished, you know, saving a few hundred bucks over the course of the year and can continue to grow that. You said something a moment ago that I want to double click on, which is increasing it over time. And I think that's the, the right attitude to have. And so for folks where I'm trying to get them to boost their savings rate, but I don't want it to go to painful, right? We don't want to go to austerity measures from party time. It's just too much. It's too aggressive. Even though like the math might suggest we want to do that, start with, I mean, whatever a reasonable number is for you based on your income, but start with a hundred bucks a month. And then if you can do that for a month or two, take it to 200 the next month, right? Like start chipping away and increasing and ramping up. And maybe that number is in the thousands for somebody, right? So like do it relative to your income, but start with a very, very manageable number and make sure that you can do that before increasing so that you kind of absorb and get used to it, right? Make the savings goal time-based and and just kind of each every couple of months check in with yourself and try and increase it right and if you start small and don't bring it to maximum pain right away it gives you time to get your other affairs in order so if you are working on paying off debt you know it gives you time to tackle that and hopefully that gives you more flexibility in your budget if you're not paying interest to some debt you've been carrying for a while now all of a sudden you have new dollars that you can allocate towards savings and you're going to see that compound pretty quickly so you know, the other thing that I would suggest is uh, for, for people where the, this is really a problem is to look at some of the sacred cow sort of uh, items that you spend money on. And we tend to see, and we've talked about vehicles, and, and for many people, vehicles are necessary. But if you're driving a fancy car and you're way behind, it might be time for a change, right? Downgrading a car and reducing an auto payment from what in some cases are six, seven, eight hundred dollar a month plus payments on like a high end car lease or even you know auto payment down to something that's much more manageable. I think that can make a huge difference. I think the biggest of the sacred cow items is probably housing, right? If you are in a home, 
especially if you're like an empty nester and you've got kids that are on the way out the door rather than like, you know, increasing family size. I think that's a very important thing to consider is a downsize on something like that to start conserving cash flow and putting it towards other needs. Because that's one of the biggest areas. If you have overspent, I think Morgan Housel said this in his book, but if you're overspending on your house and your car, it's almost impossible to make up the difference elsewhere, right? You're just not going to give up enough lattes to really move the needle if you have kind of already blown through on those core big expenses. It, it's really hard to do it on an ancillary level uh, with, with kind of the smaller spending cuts on a day-to-day basis. And quite frankly, that's how I personally do budgeting. Like we look at the big expenses, try to control those, and then assume, you know, we're fairly normalized in the other parts of our lives. And I know people take different approaches to that. But, you know, if you're starting with housing, which can be 30 or 40% of your annual income, that's a big item. It is. And, and I mean, Dan, I think you're actually a great example of that. I mean, you live pretty far out. Like you and I live a a healthy distance from each other. And I think that's partially um, because number one, you've got the brewery out there, which is, which is great. And you're close to your brewery, but um, you know, you're definitely moved away from some of that stuff, which I think created the opportunity for what we're doing right now. Like the ability for us to start this business, you and I both went through a process of really looking at our overhead and doing what we could to compress it. Yeah, I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, which is one of the the housing costs in Bethesda are outrageous. So my wife and I lived in a one bedroom condo in in Bethesda, and saw our family growing, and needed to find a place where we could go to to support having a baby and our crazy dog in the house who apparently puts holes in drywall. Um, cinnamon flavored drywall, Dan. Cinnamon, cinnamon flavored. And it was just not in the budget to stay where we were, even though our family was nearby. It would have been great to stay in Bethesda, but it just couldn't happen. Conveniently, I have a business out this way. So we looked around Anne Arundel County where I live now. And the the cost of the house that we live in now, which is a single family home on a nice amount of land, is about the same with we a were pool. paying. Yeah. With a pool. Uh, I, I really like our neighborhood. About the same as we were paying for the condo, if you if you count condo fees, and and that's outrageous to me. Just the difference you can get from one place to another, and we might be twenty miles from where from where we were before. Um, so you know, it's not impossible to get to the places we were used to going. Um, but to stay where we were, it would have had to been three or four x our housing cost uh, versus what it is now. So you know, we actively worked to keep those costs in control, you know, as we were looking to make changes. Now, here's the other thing I would say for anybody that feels behind, make sure you're right about that. I've had a number of folks come to me as financial planning clients that have said, oh man, like I'm in trouble. Some version of those words, right? I'm I'm not doing well. I'm behind. I'm feeling this anxiety. When we get into the planning, they weren't in that bad a shape. And so that's that's the other thing is you may not be a good evaluator of this if you're not used to kind of doing this sort of math and thinking along these lines. This is not natural math that we're doing. I don't think it's complicated math, right? I, I really don't. I, don't. I don't think the mechanics of 
have I saved enough or am I on track and understanding the compounding. It's not difficult from a numbers perspective, but it is difficult conceptually if your brain isn't used to thinking in those ways. You know, I tend to believe that whatever you have saved today, very simply using kind of the rule of 72, if you earn 7%, 7.2% a year, roughly, your money's going to double every 10 years. So I can quickly kind of hop to and fro in, in terms of like where I need to go in evaluating, like, where do I think your portfolio is going to be, even if you didn't add to it, right? Um, so for people that do have some some money saved, they may just not think that way or understand how powerful the compounding is in the later years. Because in, in the first years of saving, it looks really frustrating, right? I mean, if, if you're putting, if you're working really hard to put some money into an account and even if you're earning 7% a year, like that just looks like nothing for like the first 10 to 15 years that you do it. And that sucks, right? It really does. Like you, you, you could do that for a long time and be like, why did everybody tell me that this is so important? And until you hit that inflection point where the growth really starts to ramp up and then it turns into magic, like literally overnight, it goes from being like, oh, this is dumb to, oh, wow. And, and I just don't think people that aren't in our line of work and don't really think about this stuff the way we do see it that way very often. Yeah. It's so funny to think of it like that, right? If you've worked to save a thousand dollars in your first year, which is, you know, that's an accomplishment. And then your account grows by 7% and you think, man, that's 70 bucks. I could have spent that on a date yesterday and not batted an eye. That is kind of discouraging, but again, it's, it's over time. That's the critical piece of that. It really is. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Yeah, even even 10%, you're like, who cares? Like, yeah, it's, it's just, it doesn't feel like it's doing enough until you add the time component, which uh, I think is the tough thing. You know, I also think that kind of the redefining of, of what financial independence means for yourself and considering working later than, than maybe traditional retirement age, you know, those need to be considerations. Uh, I think there's plenty of ways for people to downshift and continue to earn money. You know, we've talked about coasting and all sorts of stuff like that. So it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the twilight years, so to speak. But I, I think the I'm going to just like pull up my roots and be done and and leave the workforce. Uh, it, you know, depending on where you are and how behind you are, I think we need to consider those options as well for for certain people. Right. If you're saying you're behind, you're imagining you're behind for something. What is that something? And then you can work out, A, like you said, are you really behind? And B, what do you need to do to get there? And course correct. The final thing that kind of comes up when I hear that is if you're feeling behind and that's like a real source of anxiety and frustration, what that may be telling you is something more about the job you're in today than actually how you're feeling about your finances. Now, it may be both, but that like burning desire to, I got to get out of here, might simply be telling you that you're in the wrong role. And that's as important as anything, being in a place that's going to be fulfilling and do some work. And again, I, I realize that sounds like I'm talking from a very privileged place. And, and I, I am very fortunate uh, that we get to do something that I think, Dan, you and I both really enjoy doing on a day-to-day -day basis. I know not everybody has that same experience, but mobility in the job market is really key, right? If, if you're in a job that you absolutely hate day to day, don't wait until you're in your 60s for freedom, 
Don't wait until, you know, don't put that that date on your calendar of saying, okay, I'm going to go this far out before I'm going to be like happy and enjoy what I'm doing. That's a miserable way to spend your time. Uh, my goal has always been to do work that I really appreciate and I don't ever feel like I need to leave. Now, that doesn't mean every single day is like a joy ride, right? But, but at the same time, I, I think that's just as important is to spend time doing something and solving problems that you find fulfilling. So, Ross, if we had to distill our advice for someone starting late into one or two key points, yeah, I think the first is do something. It doesn't matter what it is. Set a savings program that you can continue that won't discourage you. So, you know, if it's $10, if it's $20, if it's $50 or $100, whatever that means for you, start doing it and continue to do it. Get excited about saving. I agree. Yeah. So, so, so continuing kind of towards that and paying attention to what you're saving and where it's going, I think that's absolutely critical. Uh, I don't know if I would put this before that, but I, I think understand what your real situation is. And if you don't have the skills to do that on your own or through some like free online tools, I think working with an advisor is really critical. Uh, I think this is an area where we help people a lot to get a good understanding of where you actually stand, right? And that's that's so, so important to at least understand the reality of your situation, work with a qualified advisor, somebody uh, preferably that's like fee only or a registered investment advisor that's a fiduciary that can help you build a map on where you are today and where you want to be. Right. And if you want a dummy's guide to building a map, get very familiar with future value of money calculation, which you can easily do in Excel. There are websites that'll do it for you. And it's going to look at a couple key inputs. The first is what you have today, which can be zero. Payment, how much you're going to be putting in every year. The period, how many years you plan to do that over. And the interest rate. And it will tell you what your expected value will be at the end of that time period. Then the back half of that equation is how much you can pull from that money. Four or 5% is a number you can use that we talked about. And that gives you a fairly basic retirement planning template that you can use. And just think about, will that fit your lifestyle? Change the numbers around to see where you need to be. And then, of course, you know, Social Security and, Social Security and other things will help contribute uh, down the road. No question. And then I think the final thing would just be, don't let crazy risk be what makes up the difference. Um, and, and that doesn't mean don't be aggressive. It doesn't mean don't own equities. It doesn't mean don't try to build wealth. Right. I mean, that, that's we think that's mo- mostly the point of this is trying to build wealth and doing so in a responsible and, and a, uh, a methodical way. So we're not saying don't be somewhat aggressive in your investing if you have the tolerance for it and that you can. But don't use leverage. Don't use stretching or like really, really uh, speculative investments drive 100 percent of what you're doing in an attempt to make up ground. Right. Don't go swinging for the fences at the one at bat you have, you know, go for your single and then wait for your next turn and hit another single. I hope this is helpful. I I feel like we wandered a little bit in this conversation, but I I think it's, this is a difficult podcast to do because so many people's situation is just very different when it comes to why, how, and you know, what their situation is on being behind. But, um, I think ev- every positive step that you can take is a good one. 
And I hope that this helps somebody out there as they're thinking about their financial life. If you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us a note at checkyourbalances@outlook.com. Uh, if you are one of the many who believe Ross is wrong about the rice cakes, we still would love to hear from you. And otherwise, we look forward to catching you on next week's episode.